Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to church. Uh, it's good to see you all here. Um, welcome back to the youth who are rejoining us here from the morning youth Bible study. Good to have you guys with us. Uh, my name is Marty. Um, you may know me from the video just then. Uh, let me take this opportunity, please, um, to thank you uh, for those who were there on Wednesday night, but to everyone, uh, even if you weren't there on Wednesday night. Um, uh, the last 10 years have been a real privilege for me and my family serving here, and um, of course we wouldn't have been able to do any of it without God, but under his, in his kindness he gives us the church, and serving alongside you uh, in ministry together has been a real joy. And uh, we're so thankful for you and for God's work. Let's have a look again at Luke uh, 22 and 23. Please have your Bibles open, uh, ready to read along. And uh, as we open the word, let's pray together. Let's pray. Dear Father, uh, please help us to understand this morning the extent of your love for us in Jesus Please give us open hearts as we hear your word now. And please change us by your spirit to love Jesus more and more in return. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, in the last, uh, in the last couple of years, I've kind of become addicted to podcasts. I listen all the time. I listen when I'm walking to work here. I listen when I'm running. I listen when I'm driving in the car, if I'm ever allowed to, you know, control what's on the radio. Uh, normally it's just Colin Buchanan. Um, but I, I, love, I love podcasts because the good ones, they're about really engaging stories. They're about people's lives. They're full of interesting information. And they're often um, about controversial topics, really juicy stuff. Well, one podcast that had me hooked when I listened to it was a podcast called Serial. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of it. This is one of... if not, if not the most downloaded podcast of all time. Now, Serial, it's a mini-series that investigates the trial of a young man called Adnan Syed, who was convicted back in 1999 and 2000. He was convicted of murdering his high school girlfriend, and he was sentenced to life in prison. But over the course of the podcast, the journalists involved, they look again at the evidence and they look at how the trial of Adnan was conducted and the case against them seems to unravel. And there are shock revelations, there are twists and turns in this podcast. It always keeps you listening. The question on everyone's lips is, has Adnan Syed been falsely accused? This is a great success, this podcast. People were hooked by this stuff. It spawned a whole um, kind of sub-genre of podcasts called True Crime Podcasts. It was a huge hit because it was so engaging, this question. Has he been falsely accused? Well, it turns out, just two months ago, having spent 23 years fighting his conviction, Adnan Syed walked free from the courthouse. It turns out the prosecution hadn't originally turned over some of the evidence that would have uh, possibly helped um, uh, clear his name. He had been falsely accused after all. It was quite a turnaround. This question of false accusation, it really grips us, doesn't it? Because we know what it's like to be falsely accused. 
that triggers in us immediately this sense of right and wrong, of justice and injustice. We, we love to think that, that, that it's all about truth and fairness and the right consequences. That's what we want. For me, it's uh, in the day-to-day things, in, in everyday life, these false accusations. Uh, sometimes it happens when I'm driving and I change lanes and someone honks their horn at me. In that one sound, there is a whole world of accusation, isn't there? <laughs> I have done this to them specifically. I am the worst driver in the world. By changing lanes in front of them, I have evil intentions. I am ruining their vibe or something. I've not realised how important it is that they be in this lane going at that certain speed at that time. I feel falsely accused. And it happens, it happens sometimes at the breakfast table um, when I'm making my kids their breakfast and somehow I've cut their toast into the wrong shape. <laughs> you should have known, Dad. Now it's ruined. My whole day is ruined. I can't possibly go to school like this. You did this on purpose. Falsely accused. It doesn't matter that I asked them like seven times how they wanted their breakfast. Like, it's natural to react against that, isn't it? Against false accusation. We get indignant. You want to strike back. You want to lash out. You want to say something. Defend yourself. I'm innocent. I've done no wrong. Well, false accusations and innocence, they are the themes of today's passage. So let's get into it. Let's have a look. Where are we up to in Luke? What's been happening? Well, for the last 13 chapters, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem on his mission. And along the way, he's been telling his disciples that he must suffer. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He's also said that he would be handed over to the Gentiles and they would mock him and insult him, spit at him, flog him and even kill him. And so far, it's been uh, playing out exactly as Jesus predicted. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, handed over to the chief priests and the temple guard, and they led him away to the house of the high priest. And that's where we pick up the story. Jesus is surrounded by guards at the high priest's house, and these guards, they lose no time in abusing Jesus. They get into him with words and fists. They tease him for claiming to be a prophet. A prophet. Well, what is ironic here is that they tease Jesus for being a, claiming to be a prophet when this abuse, this is the very thing that Jesus has prophesied. No one deserves this. No one deserves this abuse, let alone Jesus. Let's start reading again our passage. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Chapter 22, verse 63 to 65. Verse 63. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Now Jesus spends the night with these guys and at dawn, the chief priests and teachers of the law, they form a council and they bring Jesus to be interrogated by them. They start off with the question, if you are the Messiah, tell us, 
Jealous. But Jesus knows they're not after a real answer to that question. They're not after the truth. They just want Jesus dead. I just wanted to get him to, get him to say something incriminating. And Jesus knows that. So instead of answering them, Jesus gives them a warning. He says that he is the son of man. Do you remember what's in that title, what's in that phrase? The son of man is the one who's going to be lifted up to sit next to God as the heavenly judge with every enemy under his feet. The son of man. So Jesus is saying here that it is in fact him who is judging them. And this plan, it's coming to pass even as they speak. Despite all appearances, it is Jesus who holds their fate in his hands. They have been warned. Let's read on, verse 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together. And Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Well, they pay no attention to this warning. So they continue with another question. Are you the Son of God? They ask. That is, is Jesus going to claim equality with God? Equality with God, that would be blasphemy. And shockingly, Jesus says, yes. In fact, Jesus literally says, you say, I am. The Jewish religious leaders are shocked by this because Jesus has just said that he is right there next to the one and only, the great I am, Yahweh. That is blasphemy. So they think they've got him. In their minds, he deserves death and everyone's heard it. The only thing, as we as readers of Luke, we know that Jesus is God. He is innocent of blasphemy. Let's read on, verse 70. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that, I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. They think they've got him. The problem for the Jewish leaders is that they have no authority to put Jesus to death. The only person with the authority to carry out the death sentence at that time was the Roman governor. And so they gather their mob together and they take Jesus and off they go to the Roman governor, Pilate. Now the Jews, remember, they're convinced that Jesus is a blasphemer. But Pilate's not really going to care about that, is he? That's just some Jewish squabble. So the Jewish leaders, they come up with some some better sounding crimes for Jesus. Subversion, tax evasion, treason against the Roman state. They're hoping to catch Pilate's ear and convince him that Jesus is a, is a threat. But Pilate sees through it. He says, this is ridiculous. So what if this peasant claims to be a king? He's got nothing to back it up with. 
So Pilate hears what they're saying and he, he comes to a pretty quick decision. Jesus is innocent. He says to them effectively, stop wasting my time. Read on, verse 1 of chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But the Jews don't give up. They're determined. They insist that Jesus is a problem for Pilate. I mean, he's conducting a national campaign of political agitation. But the thing that actually catches Pilate's ear is the mention of Galilee. He hears that Jesus comes from Galilee and suddenly Pilate sees a way to pass the buck, get someone else to make a decision. Under, under Pilate was Herod Antipas, and he had the responsibility for the region of Galilee. So maybe Herod, he can just deal with this mess. Now Pilate, you see, knows that Jesus is innocent, but his overriding concern is convenience. Just let's get rid of this stuff. So Pilate sends him off to Herod. Look at verse 5. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he heard, <coughs> when he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Herod gets quite excited about this. He's, he's been really curious about Jesus. For a long time, he's heard, he's heard of signs, of wonders, of miracles. Maybe Jesus could put on a show for him. Herod loves to be entertained, and he's hoping for some sort of carnival freak show or something. And what does Jesus give him? Nothing. Not even a word. How boring. So Herod finds his fun another way. He and his cronies play dress-ups with Jesus. They put on some fancy-looking clothes and heap abuse on him. This poor prisoner, beaten and abused, dressed up in ridiculous clothes. They have a little bit of fun with him, but they've got nothing on Jesus. They find nothing, and so... When they get bored, they send him back to Pilate. And read on in verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For, he had, for a long time, he had been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. They dressed him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Okay, so offloading Jesus onto Herod didn't work for Pilate. 
and this crowd of Jews is back in Pilate's office. So he tries to put his foot down. He has found nothing in Jesus deserving death, and neither is heaven. Nothing. So Pilate makes the Jews an offer. He'll, he'll have Jesus flogged, just a little bit, just to warn him and make sure he doesn't cause any trouble. But that'll be it. Then he'll let, he'll let Jesus go. And the matter will be over. Have a look at verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But no, the crowd won't have it. Now they're no longer speaking to to Pilate. They're shouting at him, get rid of Jesus. We want Barabbas instead. This Barabbas, well, Luke tells us here, he was guilty. He was guilty of insurrection, rebelling against the Romans and murder. That means he was on death row. He had his own crucifixion coming. The other Gospels tell us how uh, the Roman governor would release a prisoner at Passover to try and you know, help keep the Jews happy. But even Pilate has enough of a sense of justice to know that this is a ridiculous swap. Jesus is innocent. Barabbas is a convicted murderer. It's outrageous. Barabbas is the one who deserves death. So Pilate tries again. But the crowd keep turning it up. They start up a chant, crucify, crucify. The pressure, it's building and building on Pilate and he's, he's losing control of the situation. Read on in verse 18. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate tries a third time. Why do you want him dead? He's innocent. But then the crowd goes into overdrive. They shout louder and louder. They press in on Pilate. They drown out his words. He's totally lost control of the situation now. A riot is starting. These, these people, they're about to storm the capital. And at that point, Pilate's sense of justice is, just goes out the window, completely swallowed up by his own self-interest. Self-preservation is most important for Pilate. So he gives in. He folds. And so Jesus, innocent of rebellion, goes to death, while Barabbas an actual enemy of the state, goes free. You see what's happened here? The Jewish leaders, the mob, the crowd, they've actually gained a legal Roman sanction to carry out premeditated murder. We've seen all along in Luke, they've been thinking about killing Jesus for a long time, trying to work out a way. And this has all happened by orchestrating the release of an actual convicted murderer in Barabbas. 
It's tragic. It's tragically ironic. And it's a total, total miscarriage of justice. Let's finish reading the passage. Verse 22. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and he surrendered Jesus to their will. So we finish on a very ominous note there. What have we seen here? Well, Jesus, Jesus is innocent. It'd be hard to make it any clearer, wouldn't it? Jesus is innocent. Both Pilate and Herod, neither of them known for being champions of justice, they found Jesus innocent four times, Pilate has stated clearly the verdict, innocent. In fact, Jesus, he's the only one innocent here, isn't he, in this scene? Well, think about everyone else. Who have we got? The guards are abusers. The priests are murderers. Pilate's self-interested. Herod's a bully. The crowds are bloodthirsty. Barabbas is a rebel and a murderer. But Jesus has done nothing to deserve death. And he remains silent through all of that. He doesn't cry out. He doesn't say, objection, your honour. He doesn't talk back. He doesn't even seem flustered. Because Jesus is on a mission. He is determined to go to the cross. And so he ends up handed over to death while Barabbas goes free. There are some huge implications for us from this scene, aren't there? This is just before Jesus is crucified. Well, today I want to draw out three things for us to think about. Three implications for us. Number one, Jesus is perfectly, eternally innocent. Number two, we, you and I, we are not innocent. And number three, despite that, you can be innocent. You can be innocent. Okay, so firstly, Jesus is perfectly innocent, always. We've seen it here in this passage, but not just in this passage. Jesus' innocence stretches throughout his entire existence. He is the perfect son who has lived in eternity in perfect loving relationship with God the Father. And he will continue to do so for eternity to come. To use the Passover imagery, Jesus is the spotless lamb. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul calls Jesus, he who had no sin. 
he who had no sin. He never, ever sinned. Can you imagine that? I mean, we say it all the time, but think about it. Never, no sin, ever. Never once doing anything less than loving God with all his heart, with all his mind and soul and strength. Never failing in that. You and I, we, we just live with failure day by day, don't we? In some small ways and some big ways. We're full of self-interest, really. We're impatient. We get angry. We're jealous. We struggle with lust, greed. We're mean. It's just normal life. So it's hard to imagine someone as perfect as Jesus. It's almost inconceivable. But when we think about it, it's wonderful, isn't it? How amazing is Jesus? How good is it to know him? Perfectly sinless, always doing right by God, always doing right by us. Jesus is perfectly, eternally innocent. That's the first implication. Secondly, we are not. We are not innocent. I've just said it's hard to even imagine um, someone as innocent as Jesus. That's because sin, it just feels so normal to us. And in fact, the Bible agrees. The Bible calls us all rebels against God. We're all destined for judgment by God for the way we treat him. And the verdict is guilty. So like Barabbas, in God's eyes, we deserve death. That would be the right outcome. You might say, well, that's a bit of a high bar, Marty. You're asking me to be like Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God. That's a little hard. I mean, I may not be perfect, but I'm not a murderer. I'm not all bad. You know, I'm a a bit of a mix. This idea that humans are just this beautiful mix of good and bad. It's really pervasive in our society, and I think it's rubbish. Because when it comes down to it, God, our creator, he is perfect. He deserves us to respond to him perfectly. Jesus himself says it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Fair enough, sounds right. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who is angry, Jesus is saying, deserves the same as a murderer. How can Jesus set the bar so high? Well, it's because God is our God, our creator God, our holy, perfect creator God. He made us and made us to be in perfect relationship with him. But we reject that. 
We reject him, we reject his ways. Sometimes we do it subtly in little things. Often we do it completely intentionally, say, no thanks God, I'll do it my way. And so you and I, we're in the same boat as the chief priests, the, the, the mob, Pilate, Herod, Barabbas, everyone who cried crucify, we are just like them. I wonder if you agree with me, if you agree with the Bible here. Have you rebelled against God? Or is that just another false accusation? Too much. Friends, you'll never understand why Jesus is good news unless you accept that you are not innocent before God. That's where this passage leaves us. Jesus is innocent, but we are not. But Jesus remained silent. How did Jesus react when he was falsely accused? He said a few things at the beginning of the passage, didn't he? But did you notice as the passage goes on, Jesus speaks not a word. He doesn't strike out with divine power. He doesn't go out and hire a crack legal team. He doesn't even start a podcast. No, Jesus remains silent. And that brings us to the third implication for us. Friends, we can be innocent before God. We can be innocent. It starts with Jesus' silence. It goes all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 says these words, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Oppressed and afflicted, didn't open his mouth. Doesn't that just describe Jesus here exactly? The Messiah? As he was taken away to death, no one opened their mouth. No one protested. But then later on in Isaiah 53, in verse 8, Isaiah says this about the Messiah. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. For the transgression, for the sin of my people. Jesus died as a perfectly innocent man and his infinite, perfect innocence that he could, he could, meant he could take on the sin of everyone there not just everyone there, all of Israel, all of the Romans, all of my sin, all of your sin, then and forever. And in turn, in turn, we get Jesus' righteousness. He takes our sin. We gain his righteousness. He doesn't just make us a blank slate to have another go, to try again. No, we become the righteousness of God. Those are words from 2 Corinthians 5. Let's look at that again. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this. Jesus was made to be sin for us. Jesus was made to be sin for us. Let's read verse 29 here on the screen. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes on our sin. We take on his righteousness. That is, God sees you as righteous, as innocent. 
God sees you as perfect as Jesus is. And friends, you can have that if you trust Jesus. You do have that if you trust Jesus. It's as though you never sinned. Why did Jesus remain silent? Well, this is the mission. He loves you. He loves you enough to remain silent. If you don't trust Jesus yet, what are you waiting for? What else would you want? Perfect innocence before God and righteousness. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Enjoyment of life, innocent before God. A hope for the future as you look, look forward to the day when you are judged and you can say to God the Father, Jesus is my innocence, my righteousness. Friends, you can have that today. Brothers and sisters, you who already have that, you who trust Jesus already, remember that you are now innocent. You are now innocent. So let me to encourage you to live like that. Live guilt-free. Guilt-free. What comes to mind when I say the phrase guilt-free? What food are you thinking of? It's always about the food, isn't it? Guilt-free. It's not kale smoothies or broad beans on toast. It's not even those low-carb burger buns. You know those flat ones you can get down at Grilled? Anyway, I'm sure they're all good things for us, but there's a better diet. There's a diet for guilt-free Christian living. What's in this diet? Well, it's things that we can enjoy. We can enjoy joyful repentance. That is, when we say sorry to God, we take our sins and give them to Jesus and we leave them there. You are heard and forgiven. And so then don't let the devil or your own conscience keep on falsely accusing you after you've asked for forgiveness. You are innocent. It is good and right to feel sad and to regret our sin. We will keep doing that. But nothing can change your status before God. Innocent. What else is in the diet, this guilt-free diet? Well, we can feast on God's love for us. Because God does love you. You're not unlovable. You're not worthless. Christ thinks that you are worth dying for. God now sees you as his precious person, his, his individual is man or woman made righteous in Christ? And in this diet, this guilt-free diet, we get our energy from the Holy Spirit. You're no longer a slave to sin. By the Holy Spirit, you are now able to exercise self-control, love, patience, kindness, perseverance. You can say no to sin. The Holy Spirit is leading you on, driving you on giving you the energy to do that. It's a diet that we can truly enjoy as Christians, as innocent people. 
We can live the Christian life waiting for Jesus to return, knowing that we are innocent. And what is our defence? It's not a podcast. It's not a legal team. It's not a press statement. It's not anything good that we have done. It's not our own power. No, friends, brothers and sisters, our only defence is Christ and his righteousness. It's given to us through trust in his death and resurrection. He is our righteousness, and in him we can be innocent. Why don't we give thanks to God now and pray together. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb. Thank you that he was perfectly obedient to you, always trusting you and carrying out your will right to the very end. Thank you that he loved us enough to bear false accusation in silence and go to the cross. Thank you that we can now be innocent in your eyes. Please help us now to trust him and his righteousness, not our own. Please help us to realise our guilt without Jesus and to reject sin. Help us to enjoy the fact that we can now and forever live life in the right with you. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.